Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. Look who's in the house. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, a short bio-ish. It takes about seven minutes. And then uh, we will get to uh, some wonderful questions, and I hope answers, I'm sure that is, about uh, you and this beautiful book that you put out into the world. Okay. Kirsten, you are one of the world's most recognized leadership experts. I would agree. You are the winner now of the International Thinkers 50 Distinguished Award for Leadership and now placed firmly in the top 50 thinkers in the world. Well done, my friend. You write, speak, and advise major international brands on what it means to be a modern leader, which we'll get into, and how to build modern leadership cultures. Your career includes three decades of senior leadership experience, including a previous appointment by the Australian Prime Minister as Acting Chair and Deputy Chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I mean, come on, mic drop. You recognize also, very importantly, as a member of the Order of Australia in 2023 for your significant contributions to business and gender equality. That is just profound. You've previously been CEO of global consulting firm and the senior executive at a, a leadership corporate uh, law, leading, sorry, a, a corporate law firm, and spent nearly 10 years as an officer in the Royal Australian Air Force, including at a fighter jet squadron. Your second book, Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership, That She Blues, debuted in the top 10 nonfiction bestseller list on release and was named as one of the top 10 best new management books in the world in 2023. Holy smokes, am I excited. This book is just crackerjack awesome. Thank you for joining me today, my friend, Kirsten. Okay, now, you state that up until about this point-ish, whilst you're obviously writing the book in 2021, 2022, 2023, putting it out, that we've really only focused on leaders um, kind of with a formal title, position of authority. And you're stating, stating sorry, in the book that that's not what a modern leader ought to be defined as. So we have tragedy in our midst, Kirsten. And so... How do we, and what are you finding in terms of title, authority, power, the heroic leader that you write about? Tell us a bit about what's happening in your kind of history of leadership. And like, what is a modern leader defined as in brief? <laughs> well, Dan, firstly, thank you for having me. I'm Aww. coming uh, all the way from sunny Australia in the middle of your winter. Um, that was about seven minutes. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping we've still got listeners. <laughs> thank you for hanging in there. Um, yeah, so what I think has happened is over the past couple of hundred years, and we've got a guy called Thomas Carlyle to thank for this back in the 18th century, but he came up with this idea of the great man theory. And, you know, it's this idea that, men and they were primarily men and they were primarily white men at that mm. were born to rule and so then we learned at school and at university about titans of industry and explorers and kings and queens and and people in powerful positions and if you think back to even I don't know 20 30 years ago when we're thinking about leadership it was all about people who had formal roles in our organizational charts and you know the corner office and the fancy business card 
fast forward to 2023, and I just don't think that reflects reality. Mm. We have leaders like a teenager, Greta Thunberg, who's leading on climate change. We had leaders during the pandemic who were nurses or first responders who might not have had anyone that they were supervising, but they were certainly leading. We have leaders in our families. We have leaders in our communities. And in our workplaces, we have leaders amongst us who might not have the formal title, but most certainly are leading in every aspect of the words they use, the choices they make, and the behaviours they role model. So if we're here to define this new sort of modern leader, and you are quite right, of course, when we are backed up against um, a very white male-dominated definition of leadership, tell us a bit about then uh, in your research and what you have put forward in this book, then what what are kind of the tenets, I suppose, right, of what modern leadership looks like these days? Well, if you look in any major dictionary, it defines leadership as requiring followers. And that's been our very traditional notion of leadership. You know, you are the boss and you yeah. have people who report to you. I think that is well and truly outdated. And I use a very simple example, but listeners will have many of their own. During the pandemic, I remember going to the supermarket and it was right at that time when it was incredibly unpleasant to go to the supermarket and people were fighting for toilet paper. I'm assuming that was happening in your part of the world as well. And it was just very anxiety-driven time to go to do something that's normally quite simple. Now, in Australia, we also had mandatory mask wearing at that time. And as I was in the queue, I noticed my checkout operator was maybe 19 or 20. She was about the age my daughters would have been. And in front of me in the queue was an older gentleman who was, you know, obviously frustrated, huffing and puffing and moving from side to side. And I was watching this unfold, as were others. And as he stepped forward, he said in a really loud voice that he was never going to shop there again and wanted to shop somewhere that, you know, had personal freedoms, et cetera, et cetera. Now, as I was getting ready to speak up on her behalf, as I said, as were others, we needn't have worried because this young woman who had no leadership position in a formal sense in that organisation explained that she also didn't like wearing a mask, it, you know, grew hot and rubbed on her face on a long shift, but she lived with her grandmother and she thanked him for helping keep her grandmother and others safe by wearing his mask. Now, she, she obviously completely diffused the situation and frankly showed more respect and patience than I would have in that moment. But it was this profound realisation, as I said, it would happen every day, that she was showing leadership then and there. There is no question that she was a leader in her role, even though she didn't have any followers and no formal position title mm. and you couldn't have found a more junior person. <laughs> and I think it's that reminder that leadership is any of us. We are all leading when we can impact others. And it's those words we choose to use, the choices we make, and as I said, the behaviours we role model that defines the kind of leader and the kind of impact we're going to have. And I truly believe that leadership is simply a series of moments and that every moment is an opportunity for impact and positive impact. And this young woman demonstrated that then and there. Now, we have family members you'll think of that are precisely that kind of leader. It might be a grandmother who has the wisest advice when it's most needed. It might be the volunteer at the local school mm. who 
has no formal authority, but it's clearly leading in their role. Or it can be those people at work who are absolutely leading in their scope of control. Now, I'm definitely not saying everyone's the president or the CEO. That's going to cause chaos. But I think it's important for us to remind people of the leadership impact they can have. And ultimately, I think we're all president and CEO of ourselves. So we have to, in this sort of new modern leadership paradigm, in this example that you uh, poignantly uh, characterized with this young woman, that's demonstrating leading self and being the CEO president of oneself, which is a great segue to, I wanted to to play back your words because it just it, it just beautifully aligned what you just alluded to. So you write, Curson, uh, the narrow definition of leadership is no longer fit for purpose and excludes more leaders than it includes. We need a new mindset about the leaders we value and celebrate. Modern leadership is not a matter of everyone becoming a CEO, but it is about shifting our mindset of the impact and influence we have in the world. Everyone has the potential to have impact as leaders in the informal and formal roles they hold, irrespective of their formal title or responsibilities. That, I mean, I just happened to pick that out because I love that passage, seems to demonstrate what you're uh, alluding to with this example uh, with the with the cashier, with that young woman. Exactly. And imagine yeah. if you're running a business of a couple of thousand people and rather than reminding them that they are employees and this is their shift times and this is what I want from you, imagine sort of encouraging them to think you are leaders in the scope of your role. We want you to feel like a leader. You know, I spoke to an organisation recently that didn't, they were scared to use the term leaders with their line employees Mm. in case, you know, it might make them think that suddenly they come along to all the leadership meetings, you know, (laughs) And I, you know, that is a real dinosaur-like view of the world. And unfortunately, there are still organisations that think that, that see that they will lose something if they they give this sense of pride and and leadership in everyone's roles. And so that's what I think modern leadership is all about. Well, you and I have had so much in common for so many years. Uh, a book I wrote, or I wrote, sorry, called "Lead, Care, Win." I thought, oh my gosh, this is so in alignment with uh, with this book and the wonderful model of head and heart, which sounds really aligned to the title of your book. So, the model itself. Uh, tell us a bit about it, because you kind of um, have demonstrated here that there are four key attributes on the head side, four key attributes on the heart side. And I thought, well, given you've got this free assessment, and so I went ahead and I I took the assessment, and my results uh, are on the screen here. I can make that just a little uh, bit bigger. Look so, at you over-indexing and everything. I'm just here. wondering, yeah. how did I do on these... Uh- on these on these four head and four hearts. Oh, and maybe yeah. walk us through what they are there, Curzon. <laughs> I will. So for anyone listening, go to headheartleader.com. It's totally free. It takes five minutes and you'll get a personalized report like we've got from Dan's. Can I just point out, you're probably not going to get one that looks like Dan's. Dan's. (laughs) So if you can, when you look at your own, you'll see that there's a star, it's a circumflex and the dark points of the star are your scores and the light shading is a sample group of about a thousand people. Um, I built the scale with one of the business schools here in Australia and 
the as you said, it's all about balance. So we need both head and heart attributes. It's not a matter that you can be really strong in one and that'll get you through. We need all of these, but yeah. we're not all going to be brilliant at all of them except you, Dan, clearly. And <laughs> so we'll come back to yours in a moment. But the four head-based attributes are ones that people are generally pretty comfortable with. This is what we've been rewarded for at school and at university. We get promoted on, you know, it's the stuff that we can see and feel and it's comfortable, it's tangible. First being curiosity. Now, you are at the absolute (laughs) high point of curiosity. To the detriment detriment of the team members (laughs) I used to serve because they were like, could you stop being curious? Could you stop with all the ideas, please, Dan? Yeah. Now, curiosity um, always scores the most highly. So this scale has now been done by more than 18,000 people. I saw, um, yeah. January. It's incredible. 113 countries, I think we're up to. And curiosity is always number one. The reason um, it's so important, though, is because we're pretty crap at it, Dan, if I'm honest. Oh, yeah. So. While most of us value curiosity, 92% in a 3,000-person research study, only 24% of people get to feel curious at work. Now, that's because I know I can see your face. You're shocked. It's scary. And as a leader myself, that terrifies me because how good a job are we actually doing at building curious cultures? And what will stifle it out is if you work in a bureaucracy, if you work somewhere you're scared to ask the dumb question, um, if you're someone who makes assumptions, if you're busy, all of yeah, those things yeah. make curiosity difficult. But curiosity is one that's really important. The second is wisdom. And again, Dan, boring, he's exceeding the average. This is my worst. So I'm below average on this one. And that's wisdom's all about decision making. It's all about gathering data and evidence, um, weighing up risk and reward, trying to see a few steps ahead about making that decision. And the reason I score badly, and this might resonate for some, is that I'm actually excellent at making decisions. I can make them really quickly, but about 80% work out. 20%, I think, oh, I probably should have thought that through just a little bit more. So okay. if if you're like that, then you're probably going to score a little lower in wisdom, but that's not you, Dan. You clearly are always um, very good at your decision-making. I feel, like, is, I feel like I've cheated, Carson. You like, have cheated. Yeah, you yeah, have, yeah. I, clearly. <laughs> um, now, the third's the most important, perspective. So of all eight attributes I'm going to talk about, this This one came out through the research as the highest um, correlation to being a modern leader. So if you score high in um, perspective, which you have, you're more likely to score highly in the others. Now, perspective is all about reading the room. So it Mm. means you can read a room and obviously it could be a physical room, but it's more likely your team, your organisation, your industry. But importantly, you notice who's missing from the room. Mm. So it actually ties really well with empathy, and I can see yours does exactly that because it means you're prepared to accept your experiences aren't the same as everyone else, so you notice that the diverse voices are missing. So perspective's super important. And then the fourth uh, head-based attribute is capability. And again, you've done well there, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> there is one that you're just going to be on average. So I'm looking forward thank to talking. Thank God, yes. I know. Thank God. <laughs> Give me some diversity and kind of feedback. <laughs> but with capability, it's not just being capable in your job. It's actually believing you're capable. So it's tied very closely to the fabulous work of Carol Dweck on growth mindset. 
And as we know from her work, it means that if you have a mistake or something goes wrong, you kind of brush yourself off and, and just accept that's just part of how you improve and how you learn um, as compared to perhaps being capable at your job, something goes wrong and then you start to question, should mm. I be doing this at all? You know, am I really able to do this? So they're quite different. And if you lead well in capability, you're also more likely to want to build a family tree of leaders. You, you want to build other capable leaders too. So they're your heart-based attributes. You need all of them. Most people are comfortable there. Then we get into the, uh, sorry, they were the head. Yeah, yeah. Now we're getting into the heart, equally as important, but much harder to package up and put in a policy or to grasp. And the first is humility. And I am going to tease you a bit here because you've scored very high in humility, as have I. So that's my number one. The challenge we have, Dan, is we are terrible at self-assessing our own levels of humility. <laughs> and so the reason, I, over, I overshot because yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we tend to, uh, yes, over-assess. You know, you can't walk around and go, yeah, I'm great at being humble. Like course, I'm, I'm a yeah. really humble leader. <laughs> just ask me. <laughs> In a research Just study, ask me. <laughs> yeah, just ask me. I'll tell you how humble I am. The challenge you and I have, so we're in the same boat, is that um, there was a research study that showed leaders like us who score high in humility, self-assess high in humility, our own teams <laughs> tends to be an inverse proportion and that the leaders who say, I'm not humble, you know, I'm not humble at all, tend they to are. be incredibly uh, humble. That sounds like uh, it sounds like it's correlated to fundamental attribution error, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But... Where I think you and I answer the, the self-assessment and why it comes out this way is because I'm really focused in this scale on intellectual humility. And to that sense, it's about accepting you don't know all the answers. It's accepting that um, you know there's a limitation that you have, that you need to seek others' points of view. It ties most closely with curiosity because, of mm -hmm. course, you're curious because you accept you don't know all the answers. So in fairness, that is what this scale is measuring. It's our <laughs> a few. intellectual humility. I, I, I honestly, as a like as an interjection here, I, I find that when I was, I mean, it's been five years since I've led teams or organizations. I've been a company of one now for five years. But when I was doing it, I was frightened to... Uh, be in positions where I might not know something intellectually. So I would just always be cramming whatever I could to be as semi-educated as I could be in conversations. I didn't want to be a know-it-all, but I also didn't want to be a don't-know-anything-all kind of individual. <laughs> well, I think don't know anything, the anything <laughs> bit's important. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a problem. But if you don't know the solution to a particular challenge, it's actually a relationship builder, not a relationship destroyer, yeah. to share that and to say, hey, guys, between us we're going to figure this out, but I certainly don't know how to handle this. Right. What do you think, Bob and Jane and Jill? So I think um, being prepared to accept the reality, and let's just be upfront, it's the reality, we don't know everything, um, can be a really big trust builder. Uh, self-awareness is the next attribute and you score right on uh, the highest average there so you're still doing pretty well but okay. you're not ex 
exceeding. You're not exceeding average. Okay. Self-awareness is all about understanding the impact that we're having on those around us. And really the only way we can calibrate that is uh, through feedback. And Tasha Urich, who was yeah. at the Thinkers 50 event, I mean, I've never quoted her research, uh, anyone's research before and then had them sitting in front of me <laughs> as I realised <laughs> But she's done this incredible study that found that 95% of us think we're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% of those we lead would agree. So again, it's one that we're just not that good at really judging the impact that we're having. And so we can only um, get that right through feedback. And I think that's something for all of us. It doesn't matter who we are. We all have triggers. We all, you know, if you remember the moment with Will Smith at the Oscars last year, he had a classic amygdala hijack where before he's even thought about it up on stage, you know, slapping the host. Thankfully, none of us um, have our triggers happen in front of 300-odd million people, but they happen. We all have them happen where we shoot off an email, we we say something we later regret. That's just life. But being self-aware means you're actually um, starting to become aware of what those triggers are and you can stay present in the moment. The third, um, and we've got two left, third is courage on the heart side. And, yes, you're incredibly courageous. This is all about uh, having the courage to speak up for what we believe in, even in the face of pressure not to do so, and obviously very closely tied to the work of Amy Edmondson's and psychological safety and how we create those environments where others can feel courageous as well. And then the last is empathy. And um, not at all surprised, given your high score and perspective, that you scored high in empathy. And as I mentioned earlier, that's all about putting yourself in the shoes of others and really understanding that your view of the world, your lived experience is really probably in the half a percent of people and that the majority of people you work with or your customers or your clients have had very different experiences. Mm. So if you're going to be making a decision that impacts other people, you must be seeking to put yourself in their shoes and really understand those diverse points of view. So that's the scale and then that's okay. really teamwork. But you need both. It's not a matter of, I have, you know, I've had people say, can we hire to teams to this and I'm like what you're going to have the one person that's great at empathy but they're terrible (laughs) at humility and then you have the other person who's really curious but they don't know you have to have all of them this is not a a team-based approach this is about individuals well and you speak to that in the book as well of course right sort of in the uh it's I guess the last third of the book after you've gone through the history and the head and the heart you're basically saying okay how does this get balanced? How do we integrate? How do we uh, get into some of those dilemmas where it's head over heart, heart over head? And there's a ton of different examples that you share. Uh, just maybe for the audience and listeners, et cetera. What is it that we need, really, leaders need to be really thinking about in that head and heart integration? Like, tell us a couple like strategies and things to be thinking about. Because so often, as you know, in the work that you and I do with organizations, culture, et cetera, um, like not not even the the attributes you come up with for head, but just like the the yeah. head based decision making and thinking, almost taking the um the the element out of what you've aligned as your four head attributes, but almost going further to the point where, look, I don't, I, this is just how it has to be. I'm so fo- yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So 
the art, the subtitle of the book is The Art of Modern Leadership. The art is this visceral, intuitive view of knowing what's needed and when Mm. and knowing that, you know, you might be going into a budget planning meeting, for example, and you think, okay, this is all going to be just about my capability and some curiosity and, you know, we're living in the head. And suddenly it kind of, you know, the dynamics in the room change. You've got someone in your division who's really not happy with the budget. You need to suddenly bring out a huge amount of humility or empathy. It's really um, constantly reading the room Mm. to know which of these attributes are going to be the most effective and when. And it'll always be a blend. Like it's not a, um, there's no magic bullet to this. It's not as though you can pull out the uh, curiosity part of your brain and go, righto, that's what's needed now. So the art is something that we learn through trial and error with feedback and over time, and we will not get it right. So there'll be times where you might have been a leader, I've been a leader for 30 years, still get it glaringly wrong, and I've written the book. (laughs) And that's because we're human. So we are human. But if we have a growth mindset, if we accept that we have limitations, if we are open to feedback, the chances of making exactly the same mistake again are reduced. Mm. And that's the only hope I can offer because (laughs) we are human. You know, show me a leader who gets it right every day and I'll show you someone who's not being honest. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Well, clearly I was being honest in my assessment responses. Yeah. But okay, so you've you've come up with or you've identified uh, some very famous people in the book and some not so famous people or even unknowns. And so I want to ask two questions based on the head and the heart uh, model itself. So a famous example uh, is um, former Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. Both you and I have studied her and um, your example of what happened in Christchurch and just how she was on the ground, you know, um, there uh, consoling, but also adorning a, a headscarf and being with the Muslim community there. I mean, it's just every one of the eight head and heart attributes are sort of in full flight in that example, but so many different ways she has demonstrated uh, in her role as prime minister, both head and heart. So here's the question, and that is, do you think that uh, Ms. Ardern had to bow out of her role, not based on politics, but because like she was doing so much on the, the heart side with the head Because she claims burnout, exhaustion, you know, quote, I can't do this anymore. Um, I have no longer, I don't have enough in the tank was the exact phrase. And I felt, okay, every politician has a shelf life, of course. But I'm just wondering whether it was Ms. Ardern or others, do do you see this as also something for us to be thinking about, which is, when we are head and hearting, to, to verbifies your uh, to, bur- to your book, sorry. I wonder now. I'm like, hmm, is there something we should be cognizant of in our in our own abilities of over-indexing and maybe burning out, stressing out, etc. It's funny you raised that example because I'm obviously I'm Australian. I'm not yeah. a New Zealander, <laughs> and so I'm a great fan of what she. Um, did and the work and the way she led. When I've spoken to groups of New Zealanders, they there's clearly a very different tone around her leadership. Mm. So it's very interesting about how we observe from the outside as ah. compared to being involved in the politics of it. And I know um, she certainly clearly said she was burnt out. I think if let's assume she's 
a regular politician in the sense that am I going to get re-elected? How are things going? I actually think she's incredibly humble and smart to have resigned at the top of her game. So, mm. so many politicians hang on and stay yeah, on yeah. and then it turns. So my answer to your question is more, I don't know whether it was she exhausted too much heart and she was burnt out through that. I, I don't think so. I would give her more credit for being able to balance that and, and having people around her who were able to manage it. What I do think, though, is that as a politician, she was incredibly skillful mm. in reading a room in understanding, well, where is this, you know, the decision-making path, where is this going, and then what is going to be best for the country and for her personally. And I just um, give her huge credit for the humility it takes and the courage to leave a role like that in your prime. So I don't know yeah. if I've quite answered your question, but I think she she still remains to me fascinating because she was so different to what we normally see on the world stage. Absolutely. And yes, I know she was across the pond and I just well, it was, it was yeah, no, curious no, on, your, on your side. Okay. So I didn't want to put an example in your mouth, but was there someone from your direct experience over the 30 years in which you've worked in very different roles where you can uh, highlight to say, here's someone who got head and heart alignment really well. Yeah, there are lots of examples in the book and I really wanted to get diverse leaders. So there are, I spoke to something like 25 different um, leaders from your traditional, the CEO, president of BHP, one of the world's yeah. largest companies, yeah. and he's a fantastic person that I've known for a long time and he's a really great example, but he's not reflective of most leaders. And so I wanted to talk to people who were teachers or who were academics um, or who were activists. And one of the really interesting um, conversations I had with was with an academic and trans activist here in Australia called Eves Rees. Yeah. And they um, were able to talk about what leadership looks like from the margins, as they call it. Yeah. And they'd grown up in a really traditional family. Um, their parents were judges and lawyers, and then they transitioned as an adult and were now understanding how different leadership looks when you're pushed from the centre of power to the outside. And I learned so much and it's that idea of leadership being present everywhere but leadership being at the margins where a lot of courageous acts can be taken and there's this constant challenging of the status quo and I think we could learn a lot from that, you know, in the centre. Um, they were also really instructive to me about this concept of reading the room and people who have grown up in either um, a dangerous household, you know, tragedy of, of domestic violence or violence in the family or for Eve's uh, transitioning, they have that sixth sense of being able to read a room. You can walk yeah. into a room and sense, okay, where is the tension? Who do I need to placate right now am I safe in this situation and as terrible as the reasoning is for that skill set they can apply that in their work and a number of people I spoke with would talk about how they can use that to walk into to meetings and to understand obviously not with that um 
context being publicly shared, but they really can. It's, it really helps them um, read a room. So it's just interesting stuff. Oh, it's so nice. Okay, you've been generous with your time. One last question I must ask. I, I wouldn't call it my favorite. I would just say that, Kirsten, it's so... Um, gratifying to see that empathy was one of the four heart attributes and you know you go you go on to say they can willingly authentically and respectfully listen and engage with diverse uh, points of view and appreciate not everyone has the same experience or perspective as they do modern leaders recognize empathy and those differences where value can be gained and incorporated into decision making to drive better outcomes and i think that is kind of the point empathy is not a throw away let's just hug it out and just understand feelings and how people are thinking but you have to actually, as a leader, use it for a way in which that gets you to a better outcome in decision-making. And I thought that was brilliant. And maybe just um, final thoughts on expanding upon that point and, and why it's such an important part to the head attribute, or sorry, the, the heart attributes. Uh, empathy is so often misunderstood. It's not sympathy or compassion or yeah. pity or anything like that. I'm really interested in, as a leader, how can I use it in a way to be the best leader that I can? And for me, it is first understanding that I am not the same as everyone I lead. My thinking, my biases, my experiences are just not the same. And that means that any decision I make is limited to my own world experience, mm, which yeah. means any decision is going to be limited. And unless I go and actively, and as I say, authentically, go and say, Dan, you've had an entirely different experience with XYZ than I have. Like, what am I missing? Why was it so difficult for you? Or, you know, it seemed really straightforward to me but why wasn't it for you and you bring in curiosity then you're bringing in that humility I don't know the answer I really want to learn from you and that empathy of just seeking to actively put yourself in the shoes of others is what's incredibly important and I think through the pandemic we saw that through having to put yourself in the shoes of people who were perhaps having a different experience through the pandemic Mm, yeah Um, been you know we're all in the same ocean but we weren't in the same size boat some people were in a cruise liner (laughs) and some were in a leaky you know rowboat desperately trying to keep their families you know safe and and fed and and employed so if you weren't as a leader trying to understand what size boat your team was in and they'll all be in a different one then you're not leading with empathy I tell you, Kirsten, I uh, I'm I guess I'm privileged to read a lot of books, uh, both the ones that are sent to me and the ones that I choose to read, uh, as I've chosen to to read yours because of uh, my affinity for what you've done in the past and what you're still doing. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed is that you know too often books, just even mine, uh, past ones, have a bunch of attributes. And what you've done is not only um, aligned head and heart and the forehead and the four heart attributes, but with that assessment, you actually have something for people and teams and leaders to contemplate as to, well, where are uh, where am I at or where are we at? And I think that was just so clever and well done. And it's one of those tangible um thank yous that you've delivered to this world that then it's not just a book about with great definitions and and how to's, but you're just, you're actually classifying where people are at and what they've got to work on. So I wanted to comment and give you a kudo for that. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, I just really wanted people to make reading the book personal and you can only do that by 
getting yourself in the middle of it, which is doing something. And so I would just strongly encourage anyone to go and try it. Send the link to whoever you like. It's totally free. I know whole teams are doing it and having conversations about it. Um, and it's certainly even families. And I've Amazing. been asked to go and speak to schools and high school students are doing it. So, uh, look, I, I really hope it's a benefit um, to anyone who comes across it. Okay, so where do we find out about the book, the assessment? You tell us more. Okay, so uh, the assessment uh, is the Head Heart Leader Scale and just go to headheartleader.com. The book is everywhere, but look on Amazon. You'll probably get it delivered tomorrow if you live somewhere that does that sort of thing. Uh, and you can read a lot more about me. My website's kirstenferguson.com. Now, Dan, everyone spells my name incorrectly, so I'm going to just spell it out. It's K-I-R-S-T-I-N Ferguson.com. Um, but you'll find me and um, I'd love to hear from you. I love hearing from people um, and hearing from them about their own leadership challenges and what's going on for them or if they enjoyed the book. So look forward to talking more. It's so amazing to have you here. And again, that's two eyes, everybody. Kirsten Ferguson, not Kristen, not Christine, Kirsten Ferguson. Oh, my goodness. Whoever in the 70s came up with the variants of Kirsten, I have to have a word with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should, you should, uh, lucky you have Ferguson, not Pontifrac. I get yes. a lot of trouble with that last name. Let me it's tell you. It's phonetic. It's phonetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Kirsten, uh, it was so good to see you in London. I think it was 50. A huge congratulations on um, your success and the awards that you have received. Duly, duly deserved. Uh, you are doing great things and it's so um, awesome for me to call you a friend. Uh, so keep going. Thank you, Dan. And I'll be in Canada next year. Hope to see you. Hooray. All right, everyone. Uh, this has been another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract in the house, Kirsten Ferguson, kirstenferguson.com. The book is Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. Uh, go get it. Please do. Thanks, everyone.